In today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we'll be talking about the ultimate 1980s wedding song. We're going to dive deep into the messy history of a band called Chicago. And we're going to discuss a video that's the only goth rock Folgers advertisement. This is Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures take on You're the Inspiration by Chicago. Here on the podcast, we routinely ask each other, what part of this song brings you joy? And Bill, I'm going to ask you, what brings you inspiration? Of all the questions I was anticipating, this should have been the most obvious, and I suddenly feel completely incapable of answering that question. <laughs> all I heard is, like, say Ashley, say Ashley. I'm like, <laughs> I was going to say, part of the song? Are we already there? Oh, Ashley. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's, that that is, was the answer I was that, looking for. Yeah, that's the answer that has to be. Okay, yeah. But I mean, I guess I could say sunsets. God? Um, it's a bit of a tough one to answer, I think, especially considering I'm not entirely serious, and I don't yeah. think you are either. No, and uh, this, despite taking the music we study here very seriously, we also... Bill and I like to have a good time is what we're trying to say. Just a couple of dudes hanging out, talking about... Music yeah. and drinking craft beers. <laughs> this is gonna. Oh, you threw me for a loop. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. Wanna have you near me? I wanna have you hear me say I'm pretty excited to do this episode, seeing that it's the second time we've attempted it. First time we lost the file. In all of our recordings, we have never had a major malfunction as we had about a week ago when we recorded this. Halfway through, we lost the entire file. Yeah. Put it down, don't know where it is. But when something like that happens, I gotta think that, you know, this pod was meant to be... <laughs> I think we're ready this time. I, I feel even more prepared. It's great. You're the Inspiration by Chicago. Great, fantastic song. And it comes from a band who is in the midst of transition or probably better put a breakdown in terms of communication between members, in terms of just emotional well-being, all these sorts of things. Music has changed. They've changed. Everything is changing. This comes from their 14th album, which is called Chicago 17. Right, because there's three live albums that add in there. There's Yeah, there's live albums somewhere in there. Yeah, but there it's, is. And, oh, and Greatest Hits are in there too. E or maybe some EPs. And maybe tapes they made for their friends. You know what would be great? It would, it would inspire me if you let me get my words out <laughs> every now and again. Okay. Now I'm on the spot. <laughs> the band has been together since 1967. Initially called the Chicago Transit Authority, but they were actually sued by the Chicago Transit Authority and then had to change their name to just Chicago. 
And their beginnings is familiar for a band like this, where they're all living together in the same house. They move to California. They try to make things work. And at one point, there's eight people living in one house. Yeah. Seven of the band members, which is also kind of crazy that there's seven in the band and a manager. And they're just playing for burgers, according to Peter Cetera. There's one version of the story. Mm -hmm. But another version of the story has them doing really well wherever they play. So there's a club called Whiskey a Go-Go, I think. Whiskey, yeah. Yeah, in LA, yeah. And so they ended up playing there for free or something one night, but they were so popular or so well-liked by the bar owner that they kept bringing them back. Oh, okay. And so somehow they end up opening for Jimi Hendrix. Chicago opened for Jimi Hendrix. And then they heard that Jimi Hendrix wanted to come see them. And so... I bet there's a knock on the door, they open up, and there's this guy with this giant fedora on, and, you know, the way Jimi Hendrix looks, yeah. came in and just talked to them about oh, geez. how great they sounded, how oh, he wanted wow. So, I guess they ended up opening for Jimi Hendrix on a tour or something. That's crazy. That, make, that makes no sense to me. Trying to reconcile, you're the inspiration to opening up for Jimi Hendrix there's a huge journey that happens between those two points. Well, then they also ended up opening for Janis Joplin on tour. Oh, wow. And Janis Joplin would hang out with them. So apparently beforehand, they would be shooting baskets or doing whatever seven guys do. Yeah. And she's there watching them and she ended up hanging with them and talking with them, but ended up asking them to be her backing band because she didn't like her own band. Oh, really? And so they thought about it, but they said, no, they're going to go their own way. So this is also their beginnings as they're already in those early few years tapped by some of the greatest. Well, the musicians know. of their time. Yeah. Right? And then when Chicago came out, they started kind of like a, a jazz fusion rock band, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, Peter Cetera, it's tough because I've been following a lot of Peter Cetera articles and, and listening to some of his interviews. And he has not the most maybe generous view of his other bandmates, but there's a lot of water under the bridge, to quote Bob Dylan, a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said there never were jazz and every time they tried, they failed at it. But they were a jam band for sure. Yeah. Right? And that this is what made them who they were. And so you have that song, is it 25 or 6 to 4? Yes. Such a good song. Yes, you have absolutely. Saturday in the Park, which is like a whole other you know side of things. And they were just, they'd put out songs no matter what came to them. If the mm-hmm. band member wrote it, they just put it out. Oh, okay. And so this led to, I'm now moving ahead here to Peter Cetera saying, oh, I have this song called If You Leave Me Now. And they're like, well, it's not really our thing, but they put it out. And then, of course, that song goes to number one. Yeah. And that kind of started the whole shift with Chicago. Yeah. Because up until that point, one of the main features of the band were the horns. Like, it was a horn-driven band. Yeah. Some would even call it a very horny band. Well done, Frank. <laughs> that's my one for the day. They end up doing this song that's very adult contemporary and really isn't as funky as their other stuff. Mm-hmm. And apparently the guitarist Terry Kath, who was a big part of that band in the 70s, yeah. wasn't a big fan of it. But, I mean, hey, it was number one around the world. And unfortunately, Terry Kath ends up accidentally... Um, killing himself he accidentally shot himself in the head oh yeah just it's such a tragic story but also like stupid rock and roll story oh okay so they thought about breaking up they don't they end up making more albums they go in a disco direction which Mm -hmm. isn't well received and they're all kind of unhappy 
And Peter Cetera, if you look at those albums, he barely is singing on a lot of these albums. Oh, okay. He's not really too engaged in it. And then we get to the early 80s, and they've been dropped by Columbia Records. Yeah. Actually paid out. They get paid a couple million dollars to just get out because they're not making hits anymore. And so they have this money, and they figure they're going to make a go of it. And so they choose a producer and make an album and then try their best to get signed. And they get signed to Warner Brothers. And that producer to Chicago 16 is David Foster. He takes the band in a completely different direction. That's right. So I um, watched a documentary on Chicago last night and listened to a recent Peter Cetera interview. So I got two sources to work on this. Side note, would you say, Frank, that this was a band that was kind of lost and without any sort of direction? Does that sound about right by the time David Foster came around? I know that the answer you want from me is yes, so I'm going to say yes. Yes, okay. So, in a sense, they're kind of a foster child. (laughs) That's your one. That's your one. No more of that. (laughs) I'm thinking that foster child could be a thing for bands who've lost their way, and then David Foster brings them back. (laughs) I've been waiting for 45 minutes to say that. So if David Foster, if you're listening to this and you need another philanthropic endeavor, maybe that's what you do. Produce our podcast. Well, yeah, exactly. We're, I think we've lost our way, Bill. I think so. So, okay, I know this is, this is going to, we're going to get to your the inspiration soon. It's coming. Eventually, it's okay. coming. So for Chicago 16, all the band members come to David Foster and he says, okay, what do you got? As in, bring me your songs. And they all bring songs to him and they're all bad. And David Foster, I think, says, these songs aren't very good. I'm sorry. We can't use these songs. And that upsets the band because they're used to being this collective who they create music and it comes together. But now it's the early 80s. Times have changed. Yeah, this is a band that's been putting albums out for over 15 years. That's right. And so you have one member who didn't bring music that day, Peter Cetera. Okay. So Peter Cetera is angry. So whatever's gone on in the band, he's so angry about it. He doesn't even want to be a part of the band anymore. And David Foster could get a sense of that because there were certain vibes he felt. Uh, Let me give you a little story about a vibe he felt. During one of the songs, they were sort of workshopping. Peter Cetera was playing bass. And then David Foster gets on the mic from the sound booth or wherever he was and says, Hey, Peter, you played the wrong note there. It was a D instead of an E or something like that. So Peter Cetera pulls him aside and says, Don't you ever try to make me look stupid in front of the band or something. And then he says, I don't want to play bass anymore anyways. You play it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, tough start to their friendship. Yeah, honestly. Peter Zatera said that David Foster has a knack for saying things that sound mean. And then, but then you have to realize there's a dry sense of humor. Yeah, okay. Also, he didn't say this, but I have a sense that Peter Zatera might have been kind of sensitive. Listening to his music, I would say that he's a sensitive individual. He is. But luckily for us and for the entire world, Peter Cetera and David Foster strike up a friendship in such a way that they realize they can write music together. And so they write, hard to say I'm sorry, for Chicago 16, goes to number one. And then that, of course, gives David Foster sort of like carte blanche, possibly. Essentially, I would think so. So Chicago 17's coming. They bring David Foster back on because... 
Chicago 16 has done incredibly well. He's a hit maker and the record company wants hits. So they're going to bring in the hit maker. Yeah. And the record company also says, we want a front man. We want someone who sells. And Peter Cetera is that person. So you'll notice with Chicago 17, Cetera is featured on maybe 75% to 80% of the tracks. Oh, okay. And if you look at like a random Chicago album in the 70s, he has one or two songs. Yeah. Okay. So there's already friction starting to come in Within the band. Within the band. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cetera is writing with other people. He's not writing with the band. So in a sense, Peter Cetera is already a solo performer coming in. And this is like the band he's in, but he's not interested in being a part of it. Yeah, it's the two of them. They bring a song together and, and basically tell the band, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Now, Peter Cetera also said one of the issues with the band was drug use. Okay. And he said he cleaned up his act around this time, but they were all in it. But he said the others just needed to clean up and they weren't doing it. And this Mm -hmm. is part of the frustration. So there's a story in the documentary that they would have like in their concerts, like a phone booth set up. I think it's the late 70s. Okay. And in the phone booth, someone could just go into the phone booth if they wanted to, like a player. Yeah. Walk in there, no one could see them. Yeah. And they called it the Snortatorium. (laughs) So... This is like, they're on the verge of like, they're lucky to really be... Really not creative with the name there. No. And they're lucky to be alive because they're doing things that could give themselves heart attacks and all that. And yeah. so if you notice, there's a shift in Peter Cetera by the time you get to Hard to Say I'm Sorry, and especially You're the Inspiration. Mm-hmm. He's in way better shape. Yeah. So something's happened in about a two-year span where he has suddenly changed... I don't, I mean, maybe it helps not living with eight other guys. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> could, uh, that could be helpful. But he's looks way healthier and he looks like a front man. And yeah. the rest of them, they look also kind of angry. <laughs> so we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So this leads us to the album Chicago 17, mm-hmm. which has four singles. Yes. And this is the third this single. This is the third single. So the first one was Stay the Night, Peter Cetera Helmed. Kind of has tricky lyrics in there too. Yeah. A great video to go with it, which they weren't really known for having these videos. So you have Stay the Night. Then you have Hard Habit to Break. Yeah. Which I heard it and was like, oh, I don't I don't get why this was the song they had all the Grammy nominations for. Yeah, exactly. Not You're the right. Inspiration. Yeah. And then You're the Inspiration comes out and it matches Hard Habit to Break. I guess both reach number three. Yes. And You're the Inspiration, despite not reaching number one. It did reach number one in all of our hearts and in every single wedding couple's hearts. I would say that this is probably played at 95% of all weddings from 85 until 1992. Yeah. Frank, you got much about the history of the writing of the song? According to Wikipedia, which is my main source, the song wasn't initially supposed to be for Chicago or Peter Cetera. It was supposed to be for Kenny Rogers. Peter Cetera is packing. He's getting ready to go to Europe. Nine o'clock in the morning, David Foster calls him up on on the landline, as you do in 1985 or 84, whenever this was. And he says, hey, I'm in the studio with Kenny Rogers. He wants you to write him a song. It's like, perfect. Okay, I'll do that. Just heading to Europe. Flight leaves at five o'clock. So uh, when I get back in two weeks, I will put something together for you. David Foster is not one who likes to be told what to do. So he's like, no, he wants it now. So Peter Cetera, here he is packing up his stuff and he tells David Foster, okay, well, come over here and we'll put something together real quick. So David Foster rips over to Peter Cetera's house 
in about three hours, they put together like the, the bones and the basic chord structure of the song. And Peter goes off to, and I feel like I can call him Peter because I feel like he's, he's been, been a in, friend to us. Well, he's been, yeah, absolutely, he has been. You were the only high school student that I've ever met who owned his uh, Restless Heart album. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's our, I think our friendship. Did you not have it? No. Oh. No, I had the Solitude Solitaire. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah but yeah. from our early days of friendship, it was struck up over a discussion like this because I remember early in our conversations, you mentioned having. Restless heart. Restless heart, yeah. <laughs> Peter's over in Europe and he starts to pen lyrics to the song. Well, he's in Italy, so all these big sort of Baroque Renaissance buildings. And he says that he's singing out the windows, trying to get the lyrics put together for this uh, song. And he he's singing about Michelangelo. And in my mind, I have this great vision of him where he's sitting actually in the window with one leg draped outside, just sort of dangling. And he's staring off dreamily to the sky and singing with his half-open mouth about Michelangelo, because that's where it all started from. And and it's echoing in these like these huge marble halls and everything. And then he eventually comes up with the lyric, you're the inspiration. And that's how the song comes around and comes together. By the time he gets back and has this presented to Kenny Rogers, it's either too late or he doesn't want to do it. Which works out great for Chicago because Peter Cetera then revamps the lyrics a little bit and brings it to the band for Chicago 17. Yeah. And it turns out in this song in particular for production, you look through it. This is amazing. You have the horn players playing synth bass and keyboards. They're not playing horns. And they talked about how when Peter Cetera would sing, he'd stop playing his bass. And so they figured they'd just have to play these, you know, the synth bass underneath it. And of course, Peter Cetera doesn't play bass on this song. There is no bass other than synth bass on this. Yeah. So they realized at one point, I guess this is what we're going to be doing and not playing horns. But there are horns on the song. And they're not played by the horn players in Chicago. (laughs) They're played by Gary Grant and Greg Adams. And Greg Adams is from Tower of Power. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. David Foster is known for bringing in people he knows will get the sound he wants. So he brings in his own horn players for a song by Chicago, who's yeah. known to be a rock and roll band with horns. With horns, yeah. And not only that, he gets other drummers to come in to drum because he feels, is it David Serafin? Is that the name of the drummer in... Chicago? Uh, no, close Danny Serafin. Okay, I'm sorry, Danny Serafin. And this makes me feel even worse because Danny Serafin wasn't even in this song, wasn't even like considered to be a part of it. And then there were other songs on the album where he brought in like the drummer from Toto or something, right? Yeah, no, well, he brought in uh, Carlos Vega, who I oh, liked to right. think. Oh, no, that's Lou Vega, I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. Okay, that, thank you. I, that's uh, Let's not talk about Lou Vega. Well, we will later on our Mambo number five episode. Oh, okay. It'll happen at some point. So <laughs> when we're running out of ideas. Danny Serafin finds out during the recordings of Chicago 17, maybe not this song, even though there's drums on it, they're programmed and they don't even list a drummer in any of the additional musicians under personnel that I could see. There's percussion in there. In the, again, the Wikipedia entry, it shows uh, drums by Carlos Vega. Oh, I really just needed to read it closer. Yeah. Exactly. So 
Okay, this might be the song where Danny Seraphin is so angry that he's driving over to the studio. Someone found out about it. And I swear, I, I heard this in the documentary last night, that someone called David Foster and said, you need to get out of the studio right now. Danny's coming and he has a gun. Oh my goodness. Needless to say, Chicago is a dysfunctional band. Yeah. Peter Zatera has no love lost with them, refused to play with them in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. It all had to do with a key change he wanted to do with 25 or 6 to 4. And they refused. That far back? That's where the tension started? The tension starts because they want to do that song. But Peter Cetera said, no, we're going to have to lower the key. I'm pretty sure it's oh, okay. the key. Oh, and, for performing. Yeah, for, for oh, performing. I was thinking about the recording no. of it. <laughs> no, and they said, we need to lower the key for the performing of it. And they said, we're not going to do that for a single night, which I find bizarre. Like, isn't that a really big night to do this song? Yeah. They said, yeah, not for a single. That takes a lot of work. <laughs> so, and then they said, you ready? They said to him, take a chill pill. That was in the email they sent to him. And Peter Cetera lost his mind. What I love is the term, take a chill pill, which I think was popularized maybe in the 80s. Yeah. So I think they're quoting from maybe their teen kids, but not even that. But it was teen kids from 40 years earlier. Yeah. It was in an email. So somehow- They wrote in the email, take a chill pill. (laughs) This vocabulary from the 80s is making it into like digital format in terms of emails. It's just like, well, that's out there from now until the end of time. I'm pretty sure Peter Cetera and the trumpet, trombone, woodwind, horn player people all don't like each other. Yeah. And David Foster had said that even during production, Peter Cetera would come in and say, why is there horns? And he would turn down the soundboard wherever the horns were. And then the horn players would come in and say, the vocals are too loud. They turned down Peter Cetera's vocals and turned up their own. They were doomed. It was just, oh, it was a doomed This is just endeavor. a messy divorce. Oh, yeah. And he, Peter Cetera refers to this as his first wife. And then they asked, would you play with Chicago again? He goes, would you get back together with your first wife? Oh, wow. Come on. So Peter Cetera clearly hasn't watched the movies we've watched. No, no. So this is treading on our Hallmark territory. Yeah. But I have a great idea now for a Hallmark movie. Okay. So Does it involve <laughs> Chicago getting back together at the end? Uh, Frank. Did uh, I ruin things? Yeah, you did. You totally ruined things. Sorry. It's like David Foster is the other woman here. He's he's causing this the this fantastic band to divorce. Oh, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And also... It's so unfair to David Foster, but he David David Foster's mind is okay. You brought me in so you can have hits. I will create hits for you. But Chicago's like, yeah, we want hits, but we still want to be Chicago. Yeah, but whatever Chicago is has changed, and so Peter Cetera is like, I hate this band. I just want to get out. But then he finds with David Foster a person who will help him create hits and write the music he wants to. And then the horn players are so angry. Because they're being left behind. Yeah, they're no longer the stars of the band. And in a sense, they're being left behind by music. Even though I feel like horns were a big deal in the 80s, but they weren't saxophone players. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sax was running rampant in the 80s. Trombone, trumpet, not so much. Do you know what it reminds me of? Yeah. It reminds me of that tag team wrestling match when the Rockers come out and Shawn Michaels starts it and he refuses to tag Marty Jannetty Mm. and then leaves the ring. Oh, I forgot that one. That was right before he sent him through the barbershop window. Yes. All right. And then he became the heartbreak kid. He did. Well, you know, in the same way, Satara went on to greater things, so did the heartbreak kid. Yeah. 
Sorry, Marty Jannetty, Chicago. On to the song proper. Mm -hmm. And what an opening to this song. Do you remember the, like the opening to me is, has this iconic feel. Yeah, because it starts in with the keyboards, right? And it just sort of gently eases you in. And then there's this power chord. Yeah, there's this massive disconnect. Yeah. And then it just smooths out from there. Yeah. There's so power chord, smooth. It's a huge disruption. Yeah. And it just leads into that lyric. But the the opening with the chord and the smooth, just like, I'm going to bring it down. Yeah. Here's the, here's the first verse. Like, holy cow, this already starts majestic. Yeah. That's exactly, oh, that's such a great word to describe yeah. it. It is so majestic. Now we're heading into verse one, which is also like classic Satera. He sings from the heart, he said, and writes from the heart. So when he writes from the heart, he doesn't have grandiose images so he says but i also disagree with that i think all he can do is grandiose images yeah everything is hyperbole i would like to know what's more grandiose than the lyrics that he's using here yeah so let's take a look here you know our love was meant to be That's not over the top. There are no half measures there. None. None. And the way he sings it is um, without half measures. Because he says B and me for I don't know how many beats. Because I don't know how to count beats. But I know there's a lot of E. <laughs> Did you ask Ashley? On. No. I think she probably told me to turn it off that it was too loud or something. In fairness to Ashley... Back to why she probably told me to turn it down is I, I didn't listen to You're the Inspiration. I listened to Chicago 17 on repeat. I wanted oh, okay. to feel the whole milieu of Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Power Ballad is central, but this is the ultimate song in yes. there. It certainly stands out. It's a good album, but this stands out. Oh, my goodness. You should know. And so we have lyrics that are all about like the end of time forever. Everything that you feel when you're in love or as they told us at youth group, infatuation. Yeah. Everything is so big. Yeah. So this does belong on a wedding dance floor. Yes. Where you're making promises that you hope you can keep, <laughs> you know, in the sense of the the weddings that are going on. Like you're going to say all this before you even live through the mess of life, you're like, it's going to be forever. And there are echoes of this type of songwriting in all of his other solo stuff as well. Think about Glory of Love. Yeah. Like a knight in shining armor from a long time ago, talking about castles and all this, uh, yeah. like these massive, huge, like dreamscapes. Yeah. I was going to try to read lyrics for you to ask if it's a Peter Cetera song or not. And they're just <laughs> going to be the most ridiculous lyrics. And it's like, you could go through his catalog of ballads. To be p- fair to Peter Cetera, 
he has just a few ballads on each album yeah he really wants to be a rocker at heart yeah but he loves acdc and he loves like other things and so there's all these rockers but and, we and want the ballads in the video for this uh song he's wearing a Bauhaus t-shirt insane yeah we still don't know why he did that or there's no discussion yeah of why there's a shirt like that on him yeah exactly other than perhaps he's a closeted goth rock fan it could be yes all right on to the chorus and what i like about the chorus is that it features the chicago singers as mm-hmm. well as Peter Cetera's brother and whoever else they brought in that David Foster felt they needed. Yeah. But it does show you why Chicago's great. And it gives you a picture of what Peter Cetera's songs could have been had Chicago been willing to keep him. Yeah, He wanted to do a Phil Collins deal with him. And they refused. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. But they, they, they kicked him out. He didn't okay. quit. They kicked him out they of the They kicked band. him out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyways, back to the chorus. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. You bring feeling to my life. You're the inspiration. Want to have you near me. I want to have you hear me saying, no one needs you more than I need you. It's hard to read these without singing it, so I try to change it up uh, there. Exactly. I like at the end of the course, the last three lines, I want to have you near me. I want to have you hear me saying, no one needs you more than I need you. It's not enough for him just to say these things. He needs to say them and have her hear them. And this comes out in his previous number one hit, right? I really want to tell you I'm sorry. Yes. You need to hear me. Yeah. And this is a big part of the Peter Cetera thing is like, I need to say this to you. Yeah, there's an intimacy there, right? Yeah. And I, I really like that. And here's this man who's in love and, and all of those other things and just... I need to tell you this. It's not enough just to tell you, I need you to hear this. I need you to understand this. This is so big. Like it's bursting out of him. There is something there in terms of the idea that you need to speak it to make it real and true. Yeah. Right? And so he would never, I think, admit to it. He just says, oh, I just write from the heart. I'm like, no, Peter Cetera, there's when more you there. from the heart, you write truth right right the heart's truth the heart's truth and you write your heart song and this is important yeah and so it is important to be able to say how you feel which is the most terrifying thing as well absolutely on to verse two and i know We were listening to the song beforehand, and in that second line, uh, yes, I know that it's plain to see, there's these little echoes that just are, I've never, ever, ever heard them before until I listened to the podcast-approved speaker that we play our songs on beforehand, and it was there. It's like, holy cow, that, it's this little space echo. Yeah. It's subtle and it's little, but it just adds that extra little dimension to the song. Oh, totally. And then in the verses that we have, I think I got it off that 
genius.com website, mm-hmm. they italicize the next line. So in love when we're together. Yes. Now I know that I need you here with me from tonight until the end of time. And that's italicized as well, right? Yeah. As opposed to the first verse, which is saying something similar, but there's like, instead of a want, it's now a need. I mm-hmm. need you here with me from tonight until the end of time. You should know. And then I think this is where Robert Lamb or Bill Chaplin comes in and says, Yeah. Yes, you need to know. And then he says, Everywhere I go, you're always on my mind. You're in my heart, in my soul. But those italicized lines, so in love when we're together and from tonight until the end of time, because before then, it's Peter Cetera singing by himself, but they bring in backup singers for those lines. Yes, I know it's plain to see, so in love when we're together. It just brings that huge added dimension and feel to it, right? Yeah. It, it just, it's so much bigger and it's just punctuating those lines. And making it extra emotive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it just brings it all together or just brings it to this moment, right? Where you get the chorus and then the musical interlude leading to the bridge, which is this common 80s thing, but I never get tired of it. Yeah. What's a bridge? Want to have you near me. I want to have you hear me saying, no one needs you more than I need you. It's still the same lyrics. There's no change there. But just a change of feel, right? And it just is so powerful. Yeah, the way that it's sung is just like, it kind of changes gears a little bit, which sets us up for a musical sort of interlude and then a key change. Yeah. And then you're hearing that Moog going as well. There's a Moog, there's synthesizers. And so you're listening closely and it's just bringing all that early 80s beauty. Well, this is actually 84, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, well, when it was recorded, but released in 85. Oh, is it 80? Okay. It was released in 84, but it peaked on the charts in 85. Okay. Either way, we've already talked about 84 being this like incredible year of music. And our good friend Chris Newkirk, who is not a big Chicago fan, said, you couldn't escape this album wherever you went in 1984-85. That'd be playing all the time. Yeah, this album was probably always in your mind, in your heart, and in your soul. We, of course, embrace it. I think Chris Newkirk wanted an exorcism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you have that outro as well. And just I know we talked about Chris Newkirk there, but just to kind of end it off there, that outro has when you love somebody till the end of time, and yeah. it just goes. And then this is the power of Chicago as a band. You have all these different voices going on. And 
it just kind of loops this way till the end but it's a yeah. perfect ending yeah and it's a good fade out for the idea of the end of time not really ever reaching it yeah exactly right a limit as we say in calculus so totally powerful totally powerful i want to jump back a little bit further into the song and talk about the key change yeah not necessarily that key change specifically i was talking to someone and he told me about this article that was written about key changes and the demise of key changes and you know they were all over the place in the 80s uh, 70s and 80s 60s 70s 80s if you wanted a hit song it had to have a key change in it but then with the prolification of sort of digital music and digital programming and music the key change went away. There has only been one song since 2010 that has reached number one, and I can't recall which one it is, that actually has a key change in it. Oh my The number God. of songs with key changes has diminished substantially. Have we done any song that doesn't have a key change? I don't, well, that not was, many. That was a working title of our podcast was Key Changes with Bill and Frank. <laughs> yeah. Would we have gotten more hits than guilt-free pleasures? I don't know. You get less weird people maybe, but who knows. (laughs) And this article goes on to say the key change is just, it's a tool to be used in the songwriting process and in the song recording process. So it's the evolution of music is just, we're using different technologies, we're using different instrumentation and different ways of playing music and recording music. And unfortunately, the key change it's a relic or it's it's a victim of this change or, oh, or this yeah. evolution that, better term. that everyone kind of forgets about it. Yeah. Well, creators out there, bring it back. We want to hear more key changes. I want to hear a song that every line is a different key change. This is how you tell people that you're emotional. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, how can you do that without actually changing your voice? Exactly. So the song made it to number three on the Billboard charts, went yeah. to number one in the adult contemporary charts. I have the top 10 from the week that it peaked in 1985. Okay, great. So listen to this top 10. Careless Whisper by Wham. Oh, wow. Born in the USA, Bruce Springsteen. We Belong, Pat Benatar. The Wild Boys, Duran Duran. Now, I don't remember that song so much, but Run to You by Brian Adams. Easy Lover, Philip Bailey and Phil Collins. Wow. Future number one. That was number four. Number three, You're the Inspiration by Chicago. Yep. All I Need by Jack Wagner. And number one was Like a Virgin by Madonna. Well, I mean, you're competing in like peak 80s pretty much, right? I mean, you're like, you can't fault Chicago. They did the best that they can do, which was to fall in love, of course. Yeah. It is something to hear these like top 10 lists. And we know there's certain songs on there that are going to go to number one. And to go to number one doesn't mean you're the greatest song either. No. Right? It's, it's so fascinating to see what... Go through that top 10 list and All I Need by Jack Wagner, I vaguely remember that song. I, I don't know that song yeah. at all. Everything else on the list, I oh, know. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And resonates. Oh, still to this day. Mm-hmm. Music video. What did you think of it? <laughs> I read a critique of the video that said after the release of the vi- video stock and folders went up a thousand percent 
Folgers Coffee? Yeah. Was it in there? No, but it looks like an early morning coffee commercial. (laughs) That's pretty good. I mean, you got to look at the other um, Chicago videos of the era too leading up to it. Yeah. And so for Stay the Night is it's a bizarre video that's not too different from John Parr's Naughty Naughty. Oh, okay. In terms of Peter Cetera is a car mechanic, just like John Parr was. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he um, tries to hit on a girl who slaps him, but then he, she gets Just like the, a naughty naughty. Yeah, I know, yeah. He, she leaves maybe his car, and then he chases her with a car, but it somehow ends with him being like taken away by an ambulance through an explosion, and she's driving the ambulance. Spoiler alert. And then you have Hard Habit to Break, which is just basically one of those classic, here's the band playing live. Yeah. In okay. a warehouse amongst nobody. Yeah. And then you have this one, which is them playing, like they're, you said. They're playing in an apartment studio. Yeah. So this would be like Chicago still living together and yeah. not totally hating yeah. each other. But there are a couple of things that go on with the video. And there's this sort of storyline playing out throughout the whole thing. Because it starts with two characters that one looks like Madonna. Yeah. One looks like Billy, Billy Idol. Idol. Yeah. Now, is the video supposed to resemble them? passage through time as they is it that same couple that's going throughout the entire video because they look like different people all the time that's what i was trying to figure out because if it's not then there's these other sort of moments that don't make any sense yes. so you have that couple who are in a fight and yes. she leaves yeah and that's all we have from them yeah you have the other couple making out in the car mm-hmm. and then you have the guy listening to music while his wife's talk trying to talk to him yeah and there's a picture of princess die on the back yeah. of the magazine and he's listening and his kids are running around but then he looks kind of happy yeah but he's chewing gum i hate chewing gum so i assume he's a bad guy <laughs> and so i couldn't figure it out and then you have peter satara singing but within that whole band thing there's tension clearly there because they've yeah. purposely done things like one is peter satara is playing his bass upside down yeah which is i don't know maybe for so he could fit into the chair better well and i was watching and i'm thinking he must be a chiropractor's dream because he's he's sitting like bent in half in this chair like legs hanging over the arm of the chair and maybe even the back of the chair and he's just playing his bass and it just it looks uncomfortable yeah which would uh symbolize his or uh, resemble. Yeah, I see. You know, I heard that in my head. I'm like, that's not really a word, and I'm never going to say that. But may possibly it represents his posture towards a band. Oh, could be bad posture. Bad posture. Yes. Now you have your band members mm-hmm. playing a lot of keyboards. A lot of keyboards. There are on. three keyboards yeah. featured in this video, which is fantastic. And they make sure that they. Oh yeah. Make note of that. The band was not happy when the director came in and said, "Well, who's the lead singer?" <laughs> One of the trumpet guys, this is how bad I am. Like, I just call him the trumpet guy, although he's like one of the remaining guys in the band. He's like, we're all in the band. There's no lead singer. We're all an equal. Okay. It looks like it's that guy there. (laughs) So they they just pick Peter Cetera and they focus on him. And so at one point, as it goes around the room, one of the players isn't playing synth bass. Now, the joke, of course, is Peter Cetera is playing a bass he never plays in the song. And then one of the horn players is just reading the newspaper while the camera yes, pans. I want it shows how annoyed they are at being left out. Yeah. I know they think they're being funny, but we know they're mad. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you have your rest of the band who were 
all well regarded in the 70s and they're a big deal but now they have to sort of find a different place in the pecking order yeah but of course i mean they'll find their way yeah what i love and this is not necessarily about the video but the video sort of alludes to this very much it's peter satara's last album with the band and it's a song that celebrates someone who has finally found the person that inspires them yeah and in this case it's that Peter Cetera found David Foster. Yeah, exactly. And he's been able to escape this band. Yeah. I do want to mention, again, that Baja shirt is so mysterious. Like People online ask questions. No one's asked Peter Cetera about it. Oh, okay. But the best guess is that whoever was the fashion designer for the video just had him put on the shirt. Yeah. Because... Well, it'll give him some street cred. Yeah. Jordan Knight also wore Baja shirt for the You Got the Right Stuff video. Oh, that's right. Yes. Which is, again, a thing where people are like, there's no way these guys know about Bajas. There's no way. Yeah. You listen to any Bajas? No, not really. Stick Man to Martyr is a tough listen. It's not my jam. <laughs> Give me your the inspiration. I'll listen to that yeah, all day long. If Bajas wore a Chicago shirt, maybe I'd start listening. <laughs> <laughs> Categories, Frank. Yes. I like to think that there could be a Hallmark movie about a disgruntled bass player who's got to go back to his hometown that has these in other... In Chicago? In Chicago, but maybe... Do Hallmark movies take place in big cities? Maybe it could be a suburb of Chicago. Suburbs, yeah. So, like so, Wicker Park. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I was thinking it could be like... That's the only suburb that I know in Chicago. Oh, yeah. I only know of Adventures in Babysitting. So maybe it'd be a sequel to Adventures in Babysitting featuring Peter Cetera. And Elizabeth Shue. Sure. Yeah. It's going to end with him back in Chicago, but I got a lot of work to do. And I know Adventures in Babysitting isn't a Hallmark movie. It's more like an Oscar-worthy movie. Well, it's one of your brother's top 104 movies of all time. It is. Peter Cetera is my brother's top one singer of all time. Really? Oh, my goodness. Wow. My brother loves Peter Cetera. That's fantastic. So, Wolfman, if you're listening, this one's for you. I need to have conversations with him about uh, Restless Heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's ready. (laughs) (laughs) Are you got a Hallmark movie? No, not really. The redemptive arc of this band coming back together... I think that's the Hallmark movie. But don't do it in the style that, oh, what was that awful movie with Morgan Freeman and Robert De Niro, like Lost or Last Vegas or anything oh, like yeah, that, yeah, or yeah. Wild Hogs or any of those terrible yeah, yeah. movies. I mean, in a sense, at least from listening to Pierce of Terror interviews, Chicago getting back together is not best for yeah, anybody, no. I think. So it might be better not just to leave it alone. Yeah. And let the glory of love shine somewhere yes. else. <laughs> Uh, this is going to shock you, but I think this could be played at a wedding. <gasps> yeah. I think it may have been played at a wedding before, too. Yeah. Well, if we're going to like personal history, this was played at a family wedding that I went to where they played You're the Inspiration. The first time I heard this was at a wedding. Yeah. And it was the wedding dance for the bride and oh, groom. Oh, okay. Yep. And so I took these lyrics to heart. Well, yeah, because that's what, you know, love is supposed to be. Yeah. These lyrics. Yeah. They got divorced. (laughs) I'm sure that it it played at family weddings that I went to as well. Because I went to to a handful of weddings in the 80s and early 90s and stuff for family. Although the one song that I do remember the most from a wedding was Walk the Dinosaur by Was Not Was. Right. Which, of course, future episode. Yeah. 
Our it's good, only the fourteenth time we reference yeah. reference that it's going to yeah, be a future coming. episode. Yeah, ready, it's coming. Our good friend Mike Balsam, those local listeners will see on the Source Cable Ten News feed. He was a wedding DJ in the eighties and nineties, and he said, "Oh my goodness, this song was played all the time for bride and grooms." Yeah, absolutely. So he said, "This is a big one." Well, it's so grandiose, and and thinking about how big and grandiose that whole event is, and the whole celebration of love and everything. I don't know. I've never been married, so I haven't experienced that myself. Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe one day. But yeah, I digress. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but it's such a, a big event that you need a song as big as this one yeah. is. And not necessarily just that it's big in terms of it did well on the charts, but the imagery about it and how... What's another word for big? Huge. How? Thank you. How huge everything and definitive and the lyrical imagery, everything that that conveys. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. No, this is the song. This still remains. If you were to create a mixtape, Frank, what would you put on it? So I went in a direction that I haven't gone in in a little while. This is a texture mixtape. Hmm. Songs that have similar feels, at least in my mind and in my heart and in my soul. The Flame by Cheap Trick. Good call. Right Here Waiting, Richard Marks. Yes. The Lady in Red, Krista Berg. Arthur's Theme, The Best That You Can Do by Christopher Cross. All right, you're on a roll. One More Night, Phil Collins. Best song in the universe. The Color of Love by Billy Ocean. Mm-hmm. And we are going to close it all off. Sometimes when we touch. Oh, wow. By Dan Hill. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's a challenge to follow up here. So my list will be kind of close to the idea of being inspired by somebody. Okay. But also having the sort of grand feelings. Actually, that is exactly what that means. Try grand. That. That's the word I was looking grand. for. Not huge. No. Okay. Thanks. Sorry. Saved it for yourself, eh? Yeah, sorry. So here's my huge set list. <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm amazed, Paul McCartney. Oh, nice. I just want to stop, Gino Vanelli. Nice. Cherish, Cool in the Gang. Because You Love Me, Celine Dion. Love is all around, wet, wet, wet. All right, one more, just for a bonus. Love of a Lifetime, Firehouse. <laughs> Explain what my face is doing right now. <laughs> yeah. That is such a good mixtape. That is so good. Explain to the listeners. Like, we just, well, I think together we just made something special happen. I think I'm crying a little yeah, bit. I think so. And this is everything that Frank's going to subject his future wife to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe that's the reason why I'm still single. Yeah. She wants to hear Black Eyed Peas, but we got to get to all these songs. Yeah. No, 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 no. I want more Dan Hill. A great song. Future podcast episode, possibly? Uh, absolutely it is. Hey, Frank, do you think Michael Bolton could sing this song? I was just thinking about that. What would have happened if Michael Bolton was in Chicago, like through all of that? Do you think they'd break up sooner? Oh, absolutely they would have. I think the trouble with thinking of Michael Bolton singing this song is Peter Cetera is on the guilt-free pleasure. Mount Rushmore? Mount, yeah, that's it. And for Michael Bolton to even tread in... Peter Cetera territory is dangerous. Peter Cetera has a pure voice 
for this type of music. Possibly one of the greatest vocals, as my brother would say. And as our friend Ian McGlynn would say. Oh, Ian's a huge Peter Cetera fan. So Ian McGlynn wrote the theme music for Bill and Frank's Guilfree Pleasures. And when we got the initial sort of music, I asked him to add some ooze to it. Yeah. And he blew us away because he didn't just add an ooh. He added Peter Cetera ooze. Yeah. And it sounds like Peter Cetera. He nailed it. Peter Cetera is... In McGlynn's inspiration. For sure. And so I asked him, <laughs> I asked him what he thought of the song, and he said, it's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so his love for it can't we, be matched. That was actually one of our ideas about this podcast is we just start off the episode and say, it's perfect, and end it. Yeah. Probably get a, a few more listens, at least all, listens that go all the way through anyways. Yeah. The Chicago that we know is doomed. So listening to this, we know that the Chicago with Peter Cetera is a doomed entity. But Peter Cetera is going to go on to bigger things in a sense. Yes. Chicago will also go on to making music that still hits the top of the charts and echoes the Cetera era. And they're going to do their thing. Never will the twain meet again. Mm Mm-hmm. But in this moment, we have a pretty special song. Oh, we have a song that echoes through eternity. Yeah. If I can use Peter Cetera-esque lines. I hope you enjoyed our journey through You're the Inspiration. I know when I began this, I didn't think I'd be diving deep into the Chicago lore and all of its complicated history. However, this band really did amaze me. And we're glad that you listened to the episode. We're glad that you are here with us because we want you here with us from tonight until the end of time. This has been Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures. (laughs) 